So we've covered math and your wallets. So we're going downhill now. We're going to talk about forgiveness. No, it's going uphill from there, right? Right? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, we just thank you for your presence here today, your presence within each and every one of us, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from you, to hear your word. Hide me behind the cross. And let only what is of you come out, come out of my mouth. Open our ears, open our minds, and freely open our hearts to receive from you today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There was a 1970 big screen romantic movie called Love Story, which made famous the slogan, love means never having to say you're sorry. And soon after, John Lennon quoted, or is quoted as saying, love means having to say you're sorry every 15 minutes. <laughs> so the singer-songwriter was obviously closer to the gospel truth. And I've been married for 40 years, and when people ask me, how do we stay married so long, I answer, forgiveness. Sounds romantic, doesn't it? <laughs> Before I launch into this sermon, please know that I'm not ignoring the deep pain of those who have been sending gifts, and I'm not minimizing the difficulties of forgiveness. And any person, any person that has been abused by their spouse or partner is not expected to forgive 77 times while returning to an abusive relationship. That is not the purpose of this text, and do not let anybody use this text against you. Understood? Amen. Amen. So you've heard this saying, fool me once. Shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. In the real world, you get to receive forgiveness maybe, just maybe one time. Only a fool would forgive someone more than that, right? But Jesus, what does Jesus say? Well, in chapter 18 of Matthew, there begins the fourth of five major discourses of Jesus in this gospel. The chapter offers practical wisdom on relationships within the community that Jesus is forming, the community of disciples that he is bringing together. And the culture of this community will feature humility, mercy and forgiveness, and accountability. Also, the disciples have been told that in order to be greeted into the kingdom of heaven, they must be humble like children, and they have also heard the parable of the lost sheep. So these are the priorities of this, this new community, this way of life in a new community, a community where greatness respects the small and where greatness seeks the lost. And as we continue reading in chapter 18, we come to the text that Pastor Cindy preached on last week, where everyone was told how to handle disagreements within the church among fellow members. They were told to first go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. If that didn't work, take two or three witnesses with you. And if that didn't work, you, would report, you were to report the person to the church. But Peter had a follow-up question. 
Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Peter really probably thought he was being generous because there were certain rabbinic rules that said you could forgive certain sins three times. And after hanging with Jesus, he knew he had to come up with a bigger number with that, than that. So he said, how many should I forgive? As many as seven times? How many times do I have to do something good, which is give forgiveness for something bad? You see, forgiveness is foreign to us. We have to learn how to forgive. It's it's something that uh, requires a thoughtful response. It's like that workout in the gym. We have to build our forgiveness muscles, right? But the muscle that we already have built up in us and that is always in perfect working order is the anger muscle. Anger feels more appropriate when we've been sinned against. And we know that we can go from calm and happy to angry quicker than you can flick a lighter. There's fire. But today we're here to learn about WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus told a parable. In one of the commentaries that I read, they put it this way. They said, this story is like a tennis match. So many swings back and forth with surprises in between. First of all, the king undertakes a review of the books of all of his servants. But the focus in this parable is on one servant in particular who has managed to accumulate a financial obligation of staggering size. His debt is 10,000 talents, which is equal to 6 million work days. How could he have been allowed to accumulate such a debt? We today would think of billions of dollars. So the story unfolds in four scenes, as you just heard, but there are surprises at every turn. First scene, there's abundant and extravagant compassion. The servant who's unable to pay what he owes, he's facing imprisonment. And even with the forced sale of his family and possessions, there's no way he could make up that much money. So he pleads, he pleads for more time, as if time would allow him to come up with such a great sum. But he tries it anyway. Please be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. The master shocks him. He shocks everyone with an earshot by canceling the debt. Abundant compassion. Abundant, unexpected compassion. Not harsh judgment, which is what the servant deserved. Scene two, there's compassion denied. Immediately, immediately after his unexpected escape from catastrophe, the forgiven servant grabs a fellow servant by the throat. This guy owes him a small or a modest amount, especially in comparison to the massive debt that the forgiven servant owes. And he threatens to throw him in prison. And the servant says, using the same words, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But the creditor servant refuses. He refuses the request and has the man thrown in prison. Scene three, whistleblowers. Tattletales or snitches, depending on, right? Snitches get stitches. I don't know where I heard that from. But I think I learned that from my son, but that's okay. 
depending on your point of view, they are distressed by what they've seen and they get word back to the king. In our fourth scene, there's condemnation. The servant's reckoning came in the form of a question. I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you, have, shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The king is furious. He reinstates the unpayable debt in full, in full. This story had every chance of having a happy ending, but it ended in disaster. You see, the guilty man was liberated, and the innocent person, the king, paid the debt. This is Jesus's illustration of forgiveness. In actuality, they were both free. The slave was free of this massive debt, and the king was free because, hey, I don't have to worry about that account on my books. I've crossed it off. Now let's take a second look at the beginning of the parable. Jesus begins with the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is setting us up to experience divine grace. In the other synoptic gospels, the writers use the phrase kingdom of God, while Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. He uses it 32 times. Matthew is the only place where this phrase occurs in the New Testament. And he uses the phrase in several different ways. One of the ways he uses it is he's referring to the nearness or the presence of God's rule in the person and work of Jesus. What I like to say is what's happening now. And at other times he uses the phrase in order to illustrate Jesus' future reign. That's the not yet. The now and the not yet of the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at an example. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, experienced his spiritual conversion in 1748 during a violent storm while at sea but he continued trading slaves for six more years, the now and the not yet. And before we look down our noses or poo-poo Newton or act like the people in the crowd, we are part of something similar. Our criminal justice system favors one group over another. Our American military uses drones to strike foreign combatants, sometimes hitting their families or civilians that are nearby. We buy bargain basement clothes from mass merchandisers that are made in sweatshops. There are a couple of on online clothes sellers that sell clothes really, really cheap. I won't buy them. Every time I look at those rock bottom prices, I think that there is someone somewhere bent over a sewing machine for 12 or more hours a day 
making pennies, maybe dollars a day. We don't sell slaves, but we are part of systems that enslave. We are living in the now. Jesus is leaving us with a teaching on how to live in the now because he knows that the world can be a hard place. Jesus knows that forgiveness is hard for us because forgiveness means forgiving the person when we're the innocent one in order to resolve our own wrath, our own wrath over the sin that the guilty one has put upon us. And it appears to let the guilty one go free. Just as the king did in the parable. And just like the king, when we forgive, we're liberated. When we refuse to forgive, it's like we're doing a power play. It's like we're trying to limit the offender, keep them in a box. It's like we're trying to hold that not guilty over their head or hold them under our thumb, under our own power. But you know, we end up being losers in that game. We end up carrying the account, unlike the king, he had an account on the books. But when we refuse to forgive, we end up carrying that account on our, in our heads and in our hearts. And that is why Jesus encourages us, it commands us to forgive. So now the verse that I've been carrying in my heart for many years lately, and it changes over time, but the one I've been, that I carry in my heart is John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, yes, I want that abundant life. I want peace all day. I want joy all day. No wars. No family drama. I want love to overflow all day, every day. I want a kumbaya world, right? That's what I think of with my abundance. But in the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins, depending on the version that you're reading. We ask God not to hold our sins against us, to accept us again and again by grace, to make us right and make us new. But don't forget the next line of that prayer, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Turns out that the abundance that I so desire is a two-way street. Just like the king was abundant in forgiving by canceling the debt, I need to do the same. You see, what happens is our sense of proportion is skewed. We want to disperse forgiveness with an eyedropper when we should be using a fire hose. Jesus is saying in this parable that we have to give the same grace and mercy that we received from God. So we've already acknowledged forgiveness is not easy. The text tells us how to survive cruelty without bitterness. And evil comes in many forms. People can be cruel and unfeeling, and wanting revenge is natural. It helps us to feel better, but only for a little while. We want to give them what they deserve. We want to be angry. We want to hold people accountable. 
and people will be held accountable. Forgiveness doesn't mean we ignore wrongs or the damage that has been done. You know, in preparing this sermon, what came back to my mind is the day where, when nine people were killed at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Evil entered the church that night. Nine people were killed at a Bible study praying to the very Jesus that brought us this text. The same Jesus that taught a parable on abundant compassion. So when they had the, one of the first hearings, one of the family members came to the microphone and announced that she'd forgiven the killer. And I literally yelled at the television, it's too soon, it's too soon. The killer, yes, is being held accountable by society. And the woman would not allow the horrendous crime to torture her by withholding her forgiveness. Yes, she would mourn her loss for the rest of her life, but she knew what I didn't know at the time. Forgiveness sets us free. So Peter asked, how often, we would, how often should we forgive? And Jesus answered, not seven, but 70 times seven. Jesus taught that forgiveness is qualitative, not quantitative. Qualitative, not quantitative. Forgiveness is not like math. It's not a head condition. Forgiveness is a heart condition. Peter asked how many times, and Jesus answered, forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Forgiveness is the economy of the heart. It saves the expense of anger. It saves the cost of hatred. And it saves the waste of our spirits. So this parable is full of hope. Because when people, because when you forgive from your heart, impossible debts are forgiven. When you forgive from your heart, impossible debts are forgiven. Massive debts. God's grace is experienced by the people on both sides. There's abundant grace. There's extravagant grace. When you forgive from your heart, you are setting yourself free. Now, as part of our Lenten study on forgiveness, my class, we taught, uh, we watched a TED Talk, where the speaker shared that until she forgave, the man that killed her mother and her brother, it was like she was tethered to him. It was like he had a hook in her side and everywhere that she went, she was dragging him with her. And not only that, with that hook in her side and her being tethered to that man, she kept him connected to the memories of her mother and brother. It was not until she forgave him that she was released from that tether. So what will we do with our freedom? How to share this abundance of grace that we have found, this abundance of grace that we experience every day? You know, we should be so joyful 
about the abundance of grace that we experience that we, we can't keep it to ourselves. We need to go out and tell somebody. We need to go out and share. We've got to put away our eyedroppers and pull out those fire hoses. We've got to be outrageous, even ridiculous in our forgiveness, even when it feels foreign to us. Jesus told the parable so that we understand that we, we, are the enslaved man in this story. We are the ones who have been issued every day, every day that we live, every morning when we wake up, and every evening when we lie down. We have been issued extravagant forgiveness. Methodists, we like to call it grace. In some traditions, they like to call it favor. But no matter the name, it is a gift from God that we need to learn how to share freely. It's a gift from an extravagant God. It is a gift from a God of abundance. Let us pray. God of mercy, God of might, God of all power and dominion, we thank you for your extravagance, your abundance, your love. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness each and every day. And we pray that this word will not penetrate our hearts for today, but that it will penetrate our hearts and stay with us for tomorrow and the day after, and the month after. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.